Welcome, everybody, to today's podcast. Today, we're going to be reading The Missing Link on page 281 from the AA Big Book. I believe this one came from maybe from the second, third edition. I'm not sure, but this is the fourth edition, and it's a famous uh, reading. I have Alex with me. We're going to be both reading it. Um, we both did, did a meeting already, so we can't get enough of it, you know, uh, we're talking about how literature fills the soul, how literature is mathematics and, and, and makes us feel like we had a good, a good meal and it keeps us for the rest of the day. That's the way change took place for me and it's taking place for others. You know, we, I believe we have an incredible computer that needs information all the time and we got to keep feeding it new stories, a big dose of literature. So... Without any further ado, I welcome everyone, and Ray, thank you for helping me stay on the cutting edge here. Let's go ahead and pray with a serenity prayer, please. God, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, and the courage to change the things I can. Amen. Well, Yes, take, take it away there, Ray, for us, and please. The, and the wisdom to know the difference. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. You are our next generation. You're the one who's going to take this program to the newer people because we're over here fizzle, fizzling out the old-timers. <laughs> All right, should I start? Yes, please. All right, the missing link. He looked at everything as the cause of his unhappiness except alcohol. When I was eight, year, eight or nine years old, life suddenly became very difficult. Feelings began to emerge that I did not understand. Depression crept into my life as I started to feel alone. Even in crowded rooms, in fact, life didn't make much sense to me at all. It's hard to say what sparked all this, all of this. To pinpoint one fact or event that changed everything forever, the fact of the matter was I was miserable from early on in my life. It was all very confusing. I remember isolating on the playground, watching all the other children laughing and playing and smiling and not feeling like I could relate at all. I felt different. I didn't feel as if I was one of them. Somehow I thought I didn't fit in. My school marks soon reflected these feelings. My behavior and attitude seemed to become troublesome and to everyone around me. I soon began spending more time in the principal's office than in the classroom. My parents began perplexed by such an unhappy son. Began having difficulties. My house was soon filled with sounds of arguments and yelling about how to handle me. I found that running away from home could supply me with some sort of temporary solace. Until, of course, the police would find me and bring me back to my house and my worried parents. About that time, I started seeing therapists and specialists, each with a different theory and a different solution. They conducted special tests and interviews designed to get to the root of my troubles and came to the conclusion that I had a learning disability and was depressed. The psychiatrist started me on some medication, and the problems in school started to clear up. Even some of the depression began to ease up for a bit, however, still seemed However, something seemed still fundamentally wrong. Whatever the problem, I soon found what appeared to be the solution to everything. 
At age 15, I traveled with my family to Israel. My brother was to be bar mitzvah atop Masada. There was no legal drinking age, so I found it quite easy to walk into a bar and order a drink. New Year's Eve fell in the middle of the trip, and since the Jewish calendar celebrates a different New Year than the Gregorian calendar, the only celebration was being held in the American sector of the university. I got drunk for the first time that night. It changed everything. A stop at a local bar began the evening. I ordered a beer from the waitress, and as I took the first sip, something was immediately different. I looked around me at the people drinking and dancing, smiling and laughing, all whom were much older than I. Suddenly, I somehow felt I belonged. From there, I made my way to the university where I found hundreds of other Americans celebrating New Year's Eve. Before the night was over, I had started a fight with a number of college-age drunken fellows and returned to the hotel stinking drunk and riddled with bruises. Ah, yes, what a grand evening it was. I fell in love that night with a beverage. Us. Returning to the States, I was determined to continue with my newfound love affair. I found myself trying to convince my friends to join me, but I was met with resistance. Still determined, I set out to find new friends, friends who could help me maintain this fantastic solution to my most desperate problems. My escapade started as a weekend pursuit and progressed into a daily obsession. At first, it took several beers to get me drunk to my satisfaction. However, within three years, it took fifth and a half of vodka and a bottle of wine and several beers in an evening's time to satisfactorily black me out. I would obtain alcohol by any means necessary. That meant lying, stealing, and cheating. My motto was, if you felt like I did, you'd have to get drunk too. As the feelings of hopelessness and depression progressed, so did my drinking. The thought of suicide came more and more frequently. I felt as if things were never going to change. Progress with my therapist came to almost a complete halt. The hopelessness was compounded by the fact that the one thing that was bringing me relief, the one thing I counted on to take the pain away, was ultimately destroying me. The end, I feared, was close. My last semester in high school marked my bottom. It was everyday drinking then. Since I had already been accepted to college, I consciously decided to make that last semester one big party. But it was no fun at all. I was miserable. I graduated narrowly and took a job at a local garage. It was difficult to manage my drinking and the job since they were both full-time, but I con concocted all kinds of lies to ensure that nothing would interfere with my drinking. After being repeatedly reprimanded at work for being late in the morning, I made up a story to hide the fact that I was always hungover. I told my manager that I had cancer and needed to go to the doctor for treatment every morning. I would say whatever I needed to say to protect my drinking. Pass. More often, I was having the little moments of clarity. Times I knew for sure that I was an alcoholic. Times when I was looking at the bottom of my glass asking myself, why am I doing this? Something had to give. Something had to change. I was suicidal. 
evaluating every part of my life for what could be wrong. It culminated in one last night of drinking and starting staring at the problem. It made me sick to think about it, and even sicker to continue drinking it away. I was forced to look at my drinking as the chief suspect. The next day, I went to work late as usual, and all day long I could not stop thinking about this very real problem. I could go no further. What was happening to me? Therapy hadn't fixed my life. All those sessions, I was still miserable. I might as well just kill myself, drink my way into oblivion, and one last desperation fight for a solution, I review my life, searching for the missing link. Had I left out some crucial bit of information that would lead to a breakthrough, make it possible for life to become just a little more bearable? No, there was nothing, except, of course, my drinking. The next morning, I went to see my therapist. I told him I decided to quit therapy because after eight years, it wasn't working. But I decided to tell him how I had been searching through my life for that missing link and had come up with only one thing I had never told him, that I drank. He began to ask me questions. He asked me about quantities, frequency, what I drank. Before he was even halfway through, I broke down and began sobbing. I cried and cried. Do you think I have a problem with drinking? He replied, I think that is quite obvious. I then asked, Do you think I'm an alcoholic? And he answered, You're going to have to find out for yourself. He pulled a list of Alcoholic Anonymous meetings out of his desk drawer. He had already highlighted the young people's meetings. He told me to go home and not drink at all for the rest of the day. He would call me at 9 p.m. and wanted to hear that I hadn't been drinking or taken a drink. It was rough, but I went home and locked myself in my room, sweating it out until he called. He asked if I had had a drink. I told him I had not and asked what I should do next. He told me to do the same thing tomorrow, except tomorrow... I should also go to the first meeting on the list he had highlighted. The next day, I went to my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. I was 18 years old. Pass. In the parking lot, I sat in my car for about 15 minutes before the meeting started, trying to work up the courage to go in and face myself. I remember finally working up the nerve to open the door and get out only to close the door, dismissing the notion of going into the meetings as ridiculous. This dance of indecisiveness went on about 50 times before I left. Had I not gone in, I believe I would not be alive today. The room was very smoky and filled with apparently happy people. Finding a seat in the back, I sat down and tried to make sense of the format. When I... When the... Chairperson asked if there were any newcomers present. I looked around and saw some hands go up. But I certainly wasn't ready to raise my hand and draw attention to myself. The meeting broke up into several groups, and I followed one group down the hall and took a seat. They opened a book and read the chapter titled Step 7. After the reading, they went around the table for comments. And for the first time in my life, I found myself surrounded by people I could really relate with. 
I no longer felt as if I was a total misfit because here was a room full of people who felt precisely as I did and the major weight had been lifted. I happened to be in the last chair around the table to speak and confused by the reading. All I could say was, what the heck are shortcomings? A couple of members realizing I was there for my first meeting took me downstairs and sat down with me and outlined the program. I can recall little of what was said. I remember telling these members that this program they outlined sounded like just what I needed, but I didn't think I could stay sober for the rest of my life. Exactly how was I supposed to not drink if my girlfriend breaks up with me, or if my best friend dies, or even through happy times like graduations, weddings, and birthdays? They suggested I could just stay sober one day at a time. They explained that it might be easier to set my sights on 24 hours in front of me and to take one of these other situations when and if they ever arrive. I decided to give sobriety a try one day at a time. I've done it that way ever since. Pass. When I entered Alcoholics Anonymous, I had done some damage physically, had a bouquet of mental quirks, and was spiritually bankrupt. I knew I was powerless over alcohol and that I needed to be open-minded toward what people suggested for recovery. However, when it came to spirituality, I fought it nearly every step of the way. Although raised in an ethnic and religious Jewish household, I was agnostic and very resistant to anyone in anything that I perceived to be imposing religious beliefs. To my surprise, Alcoholic Anonymous suggested something different. The idea that religion and spirituality were not one of the same was a new notion. My sponsor asked that I merely remain open-minded to the possibility that there was a power greater than myself, one of my own understanding. He assured me that no person was going to impose a belief system on me, that it was a personal matter. Reluctantly, I opened my mind to the fact that maybe, just maybe, there was something to this spiritual lifestyle. Slowly but surely, I realized there was indeed a power greater than myself, and I soon found myself with a full-time God in my life, and the following a spiritual path that didn't conflict with my personal religious convictions. Following the spiritual path made a major difference in my life. It seemed to fill that lonely hole that I used to fill with alcohol. My self-esteem improved dramatically, and I knew happiness and serenity as I had never known before. I, I started to see the beauty very... I started to see the beauty pass. I pass. Oh, started to see the beauty and usefulness in my own existence, and tried to express my gratitude through helping others in whatever ways I could. A confidence and faith entered my life, and unraveled a plan for me that was bigger and better than I could have ever imagined. It wasn't easy. It has never been easy, but it gets so much better. Since that first meeting, my life has completely changed. Three months into the, the program, I started college. While many of my college classmates were experimenting with alcohol for the first time, I was off at meetings and AA getting 
and AA get-togethers, becoming active in service work, and developing relationships with God, my family, with God, family, and friends, and loved ones. I rarely thought twice about this. It was what I wanted and needed to do. Over the last seven years, nearly everything I thought I could not stay sober through has happened. Indeed, sobriety and life are full of ups and downs. Occasionally, depression can creep back into my life and requires outside help. However, this program has provided me with the tools to stay sober through the death of my best friend, failed relationships, and good times like birthdays, weddings, and graduations. Life is exceptionally better than it's ever that it ever was before. I'm living out the life I used to fantasize about, and I have a whole lot of work still in front of me. I have I have hope to share the love to and love to give, and I just keep going one day at a time, living this adventure called life. Amen. Amen. Wonderful, wonderful, great, wonderful reading. Uh, very young people person came in at 18 years old and uh, managed to get his spiring life going downhill in progress and very grateful for it that they took the time to write this. Uh, you know, the missing link has a special ring to me. I remember getting out of road camp at 15 years old. Get this, I've been doing exercise and running around and doing push-ups and sit-ups the most physical fitness I've ever been in my life, toned to the hill because I was up in road camp and I got out. So right away, uh, I guess I made money there and they gave me a little check and I went to go buy. And I saw a little bottle that had a monkey on it. It said, Missing Link. Apparently there were some scientists that turned to the century in 1800s that, that, that found a uh, a bamboo and a men's skeleton, they put it together and say that they found a missing link. There's no missing link of evolution from a monkey to a human being or something like that. So after a while, they found out it was a hoax, a bunch of drinkers trying to get trying to get uh, credit for finding something, you know, they would become famous. So a good thing that happened was uh, I drank that thing looking for the missing link. I felt like something was missing in my life. And then in addition to that, we had a a half bottle of vodka at 15 years old and I blacked out that night I almost died from barfing uh, thank God they threw me in the bed uh, in, in my stomach when I went home I had barf all over me I had barfed up the beans I had eaten the before the burrito and it was still all over my shirt when I was walking home I had a brand new pair of Levi's and they were full of shit and piss and everything blood all over my shirt and I had concussions you know they, they told me that I kept falling backwards on the cement um, so that explains why I fall I I fly off the handle handles so much in so many jobs and uh, so the only thing that's cures for me this alcoholic is is a healthy dose of reading right now of somebody's testimony with prayer and God and my admission that I'm one too opens the door for me to get better and to, to sustain the life I'm living and be relatively happy. So I'm very grateful that I'm not locked up. You know, I injured some myself and so many people. I'm just very grateful where I am today. So that's all I got. Um, next. 
Yeah, you know, I really, like I said, I really enjoy reading this, like you said, this great literature in this book. You know, every story you can learn something. But what I love, every story starts with their fall, you know, starts how they began, you know, whether like this kid that started drinking at a very young age in Israel, you know, and how it just escalated and escalated till he fell and hit rock bottom, lost his loved ones, lost his friends, you know, just couldn't, you know, had to lie about what was going on in his life just to keep a job. You know, I love reading these stories about their, their falls and what everything that they go through, how finding this program helped them get up to where they're good position, you know, their rise, seeing that they're fixing their their relationships with their friends, their loved ones, being able to have the tools through AA to deal with breakups, to deal with deaths in the family, just or even celebrations, you know, that's especially in the Hispanic culture, it's like one of the hardest things is you go to a Mexican party, everyone expects you to drink, you know, but like I've, I've learned, you know, through the short time that I have been in this program that you don't have to, there's ways to cope there. You can still have fun without drinking. And I'm really grateful for this program every day because of it. Amen. Thank you so much, Alec, for coming in here. And I thank God for you for excellent reading capabilities and, uh, uh, and your experience, sharing your experience with us, you know. We pray that somebody out there will that too, you know, gravitate to it. You may be driving or being incarcerated or, or just uh, don't have time. You're working. Thank God. Thank God for every circumstances. There's always something good to get out of a, a character defect, and we thank God for it. So let's go ahead and pray out with the Lord's Prayer, and I'll uh, Alex, would you take us through, please? I'm going to be silent, so I'll, I'll go with you. I'll do it. All right. Sounds good. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive them who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen and amen. Thank you, everyone, for coming on today. We're doing the deal. Goodbye, Alex. See ya. Goodbye, Fernando. Thank you again. Thank you. Have Bye. a good day. You bet. Bye. everybody to today's podcast today we're going to be reading the missing link on page 281 from the aa big book i believe this one came from maybe from the second third edition I'm not sure but this is the fourth edition and it's a famous uh reading i have alex with me we're going to be both reading it um we both did did a meeting already so we can't get enough of it you know uh we're talking about how literature fills the soul, how literature is mathematics and, and, and makes us feel like we had a good, a good meal and it keeps us for the rest of the day. That's the way change took place for me and it's taking place for others. You know, we, I believe we have an incredible computer that needs information all the time and we got to keep feeding it new stories, a big dose of literature. So... Without any further ado, I welcome everyone, and Ray, thank you for helping me stay on the cutting edge here. 
Let's go ahead and pray with a serenity prayer, please. God, God grant me the serenity to accept to the things the thing I, cannot, I change, cannot change and the courage, courage to change the things I can. I can. Amen. Well, yes, take, take it away there, Ray, for us, and please. The, and the wisdom to know the difference. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. You are our next generation. You're the one who's going to take this program to the newer people because we're over here fizzle, fizzling out the old timers. <laughs> All right, should I start? Yes, please. All right, the missing link. He looked at everything as the cause of his unhappiness except alcohol. When I was eight, year, eight or nine years old, life suddenly became very difficult. Feelings began to emerge that I did not understand. Depression crept into my life as I started to feel alone. Even in crowded rooms, in fact, life didn't make much sense to me at all. It's hard to say what sparked all this, all of this. To pinpoint one fact or event that changed everything forever, the fact of the matter was I was miserable from early on in my life. It was all very confusing. I remember isolating on the playground, watching all the other children laughing and playing and smiling and not feeling like I could relate at all. I felt different. I didn't feel as if I was one of them. Somehow I thought I didn't fit in. My school marks soon reflected these feelings. My behavior and attitude seemed to become troublesome and to everyone around me. I soon began spending more time in the principal's office than in the classroom. My parents began perplexed by such an unhappy son. Began having difficulties. My house was soon filled with sounds of arguments and yelling about how to handle me. I found that running away from home could supply me with some sort of temporary solace. Until, of course, the police would find me and bring me back to my house and my worried parents. About that time, I started seeing therapists and specialists, each with a different theory and a different solution. They conducted special tests and interviews designed to get to the root of my troubles and came to the conclusion that I had a learning disability and was depressed. The psychiatrist started me on some medication and the problems in school started to clear up. Even some of the depression began to ease up for a bit. However, still seem, however something seemed still fundamentally wrong. Whatever the problem, I soon found what appeared to be the solution to everything. At age 15, I traveled with my family to Israel. My brother was to be bar mitzvah atop Masada. There was no legal drinking age, so I found it quite easy to walk into a bar and order a drink. New Year's Eve fell in the middle of the trip, and since the Jewish calendar celebrates a different New Year than the Gregorian calendar, the only celebration was being held in the American sector of the university. I got drunk for the first time that night. It changed everything. A stop at a local bar began the evening. I ordered a beer from the waitress, and as I took the first sip, something was immediately different. I looked around me at the people drinking and dancing, smiling and laughing, all whom were much older than I. Suddenly, I somehow felt I belonged. From there, I made my way to the university where I found hundreds of other Americans celebrating New Year's Eve. 
Before the night was over, I had started a fight with a number of college-age drunken fellows and returned to the hotel, stinking drunk and riddled with bruises. Ah, yes, what a grand evening it was. I fell in love that night with a beverage. Ask. Returning to the States, I was determined to continue with my newfound love affair. I found myself trying to convince my friends to join me, but I was met with resistance. Still determined, I set out to find new friends, friends who could help me maintain this fantastic solution to my most desperate problems. My escapade started as a weekend pursuit and progressed into a daily obsession. At first, it took several beers to get me drunk to my satisfaction. However, within three years, it took fifth and a half of vodka and a bottle of wine and several beers in an evening's time to satisfactorily black me out. I would obtain alcohol by any means necessary. That meant lying, stealing, and cheating. My motto was, if you felt like I did, you'd have to get drunk too. As the feelings of hopelessness and depression progressed, so did my drinking. The thought of suicide came more and more frequently. I felt as if things were never going to change. Progress with my therapist came to almost a complete halt. The hopelessness was compounded by the fact that the one thing that was bringing me relief, the one thing I counted on to take the pain away, was ultimately destroying me. The end, I feared, was close. My last semester in high school marked my bottom. It was everyday drinking then. Since I had already been accepted to college, I consciously decided to make that last semester one big party. But it was no fun at all. I was miserable. I graduated narrowly and took a job at a local garage. It was difficult to manage my drinking and the job since they were both full-time, but I con concocted all kinds of lies to ensure that nothing would interfere with my drinking. After being repeatedly reprimanded at work for being late in the morning, I made up a story to hide the fact that I was always hungover. I told my manager that I had cancer and needed to go to the doctor for treatment every morning. I would say whatever I needed to say to protect my drinking. Pass. More often, I was having the little moments of clarity. Times I knew for sure that I was an alcoholic. Times when I was looking at the bottom of my glass, asking myself, why am I doing this? Something had to give. Something had to change. I was suicidal. Evaluating every part of my life for what could be wrong, it culminated in one last night of drinking and starting staring at the problem. It made me sick to think about it, and even sicker to continue drinking it away. I was forced to look at my drinking as the chief suspect. The next day, I went to work, late as usual, and all day long I could not stop thinking about this very real problem. I could go no further. What was happening to me? Therapy hadn't fixed my life. All those sessions, I was still miserable. I might as well just kill myself, drink my way into oblivion, and one last desperation fight for a solution, I review my life, searching for the missing link. Had I left out some crucial bit of information that would lead to a breakthrough, make it possible for life to become just a little more bearable? No, there was nothing, except, of course, my drinking. 
The next morning, I went to see my therapist. I told him I decided to quit therapy because after eight years, it wasn't working. But I decided to tell him how I had been searching through my life for that missing link and had come up with only one thing I had never told him, that I drank. He began to ask me questions. He asked me about quantities, frequency, what I drank. Before he was even halfway through, I broke down and began sobbing. I cried and cried. Do you think I have a problem with drinking? He replied, I think that is quite obvious. I then asked, do you think I'm an alcoholic? And he answered, you're going to have to find out for yourself. He pulled a list of Alcoholic Anonymous meetings out of his desk drawer. He had already highlighted the young people's meetings. He told me to go home and not drink at, at all for the rest of the day. He would call me at 9 p.m. and wanted to hear that I hadn't been drinking or taken a drink. It was rough, but I went home and locked myself in my room, sweating it out until he called. He asked if I had been, had a drink. I told him I had not and asked what I should do next. He told me to do the same thing tomorrow, except tomorrow I should also go to the first meeting on the list he had highlighted. The next day I went to my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. I was 18 years old. Pass. In the parking lot, I sat in my car for about 15 minutes before the meeting started, trying to work up the courage to go in and face myself. I remember finally working up the nerve to open the door and get out, only to close the door, dismissing the notion of going into the meetings as ridiculous. This dance of indecisiveness went on about 50 times before I left. And had I not gone in, I believe I would not be alive today. The room was very smoky and filled with apparently happy people. Finding a seat in the back, I sat down and tried to make sense of the format. When I, when the chairperson asked if there were any newcomers present, I looked around and saw some hands go up. But I certainly wasn't ready to raise my hand and draw attention to myself. The meeting broke up into several groups, and I followed one group down the hall and took a seat. They opened a book and read the chapter titled Step 7. After the reading, they went around the table for comments. And for the first time in my life, I found myself surrounded by people I could really relate with. I no longer felt as if I was a total misfit. Because here was a room full of people who felt precisely as I did. And the major weight had been lifted. I happened to be in the last chair around the table to speak and confused by the reading. All I could say was, what the heck are shortcomings? A couple of members realizing I was there for my first meeting took me downstairs and sat down with me and outlined the program. I can recall little of what was said. I remember telling these members that this program they outlined sounded like just what I needed, but I didn't think I could stay sober for the rest of my life. Exactly how was I supposed to not drink if my girlfriend breaks up with me, or if my best friend dies, or even through happy times like graduations, weddings, and birthdays. They suggested I could just stay sober one day at a time. They explained that it might be easier to set my sights on 24 hours 
in front of me and to take one of these other situations when and if they ever arrive. I decided to give sobriety a try one day at a time. I've done it that way ever since. Pass. When I entered Alcoholics Anonymous, I had done some damage physically, had a bouquet of mental quirks, and was spiritually bankrupt. I knew I was powerless over alcohol, that I needed to be open-minded toward what people suggested for recovery. However, when it came to spirituality, I fought it nearly every step of the way. Although raised in an ethnic and religious Jewish household, I was agnostic and very resistant to anyone and anything that I perceived to be imposing religious beliefs. To my surprise, Alcoholic Anonymous suggested something different. The idea that religion and spirituality were not one of the same was a new notion. My sponsor asked that I merely remain open-minded to the possibility that there was a power greater than myself, one of my own understanding. He assured me that no person was going to impose a belief system on me, that it was a personal matter. Reluctantly, I opened my mind to the fact that maybe, just maybe, there was something to this spiritual lifestyle. Slowly but surely, I realized there was indeed a power greater than myself, and I soon found myself with a full-time God in my life, and the following a spiritual path that didn't conflict with my personal religious convictions. Following the spiritual path made a major difference in my life. It seemed to fill that lonely hole that I used to fill with alcohol. My self-esteem improved dramatically, and I knew happiness and serenity as I had never known before. I, I started to see the beauty very... I started to see the beauty pass. I pass. Oh, started to see the beauty and usefulness in my own existence, and tried to express my gratitude through helping others in whatever ways I could. A confidence and faith entered my life and unraveled a plan for me that was bigger and better than I could have ever imagined. It wasn't easy. It has never been easy, but it gets so much better. Since that first meeting, my life has completely changed. Three months into the, the program, I started college. While many of my college classmates were experimenting with alcohol for the first time, I was off at meetings and AA getting and AA get-togethers, becoming active in service work, and developing relationships with God, my family, with God, family, and friends, and loved ones. I rarely thought twice about this. It was what I wanted and needed to do. Over the last seven years, nearly everything I thought I could not stay sober through has happened. Indeed, sobriety life are full of ups and downs. Occasionally, depression can creep back into my life and requires outside help. However, this program has provided me with the tools to stay sober through the death of my best friend, failed relationships, and good times like birthdays, weddings, and graduations. Life is exceptionally better than it's ever that it ever was before. I'm living out the life I used to fantasize about, and I have a whole lot of work still in front of me. I have I have hope to share the love to and love to give, and I just keep going one day at a time, living this adventure called life. Amen. 
Amen. Wonderful, wonderful, great, wonderful reading. Uh, very young pe person came in at 18 years old and uh, managed to get his spiring life going downhill in progress. And very grateful for it that they took the time to write this. Um, you know, the missing link has a special ring to me. I remember getting out of road camp at 15 years old. Get this, I've been doing exercise and running around and doing push-ups and sit-ups. The most physical fitness I've ever been in my life, toned to the hill because I was up in road camp and I got out. So right away, uh, I guess I made money there and they gave me a little check and I went to go buy. And I saw a little bottle that had a monkey on it. It said, missing link. Apparently, there were some scientists that turned of the century in 1800s that, that, that found a, a bamboo and a men's skeleton. They put it together and say that they found a missing link. There's no missing link of evolution from a monkey to a human being or something like that. So after a while, they found out it was a hoax, a bunch of drinkers trying to get, trying to get uh, credit for finding something. You know, they would become famous. So a good thing that happened was... Uh, I drank that thing looking for the missing link. I felt like something was missing in my life. And then in addition to that, we had a, a half bottle of vodka at 15 years old. And I blacked out that night. I almost died from barfing. Uh, thank God they threw me in the bed uh, in, in my stomach. When I went home, I had barf all over me. I had barfed up the beans I had eaten the, before the burrito. And it was still all over my shirt when I was walking home. I had a brand new pair of Levi's and they were full of shit and piss and everything, blood all over my shirt. And I had concussions, you know. They, they told me that I kept falling backwards on the cement. Um, so that explains why I, fall, I, I fly off the handle, handles so much in so many jobs. And uh, so the only thing that's cures for me, this alcoholic, is, is a healthy dose of reading right now of somebody's testimony with prayer and God and my admission that I'm one too opens the door for me to get better and to, to sustain the life I'm living and be relatively happy. So I'm very grateful that I'm not locked up. You know, I injured some myself and so many people. I'm just very grateful where I am today. So that's all I got. Um, next. Yeah, you know, I really, like I said, I really enjoy reading this, like you said, this great literature in this book. You know, every story, you can learn something. But what I love, every story starts with their fall, you know, starts how they began, you know, whether like this kid that started drinking at a very young age in Israel, you know, and how it just escalated and escalated till he fell and hit rock bottom, lost his loved ones, lost his friends, you know, just couldn't, you know, had to lie about what was going on in his life just to keep a job. You know, I love reading these stories about their, their falls and what everything that they go through, how finding this program helped them get up to where they're good position, you know, their rise, seeing that they're fixing their their relationships with their friends, their loved ones, being able to have the tools through AA to deal with breakups, to deal with deaths in the family, just or even celebrations, you know, that's especially in the Hispanic culture is like one of the hardest things is you go to a Mexican party, everyone expects you to drink, you know, but 
like I've, I've learned, you know, through the short time that I have been in this program that you don't have to. There's ways to cope there. You can still have fun without drinking. And I'm really grateful for this program every day because of it. Hey, Amen. Thank you so much, Alec, for coming in here. And I thank God for you for excellent reading capabilities and uh, uh, and your experience, sharing your experience with us. You know, we pray that somebody out there will that too, you know, gravitate to it. You may be driving or being incarcerated or, or just uh, don't have time. You're working. Thank God. Thank God for every circumstances. There's always something good to get out of a a character defect, and we thank God for it. So let's go ahead and pray out with the Lord's Prayer. And I'll, uh, Alex, would you take us through, please? I'm going to be silent, so I'll, I'll go with you. I'll do it. All right, sounds good. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen and amen. Thank you, everyone, for coming on today. We're doing the deal. Goodbye, Alex. See ya. Goodbye, Fernando. Thank you again. Thank you. Have a good day. You bet. Bye.